0: Good morning and happy Tuesday, everyone. It is a very happy Tuesday because we have regular season football to talk about. And who better to talk about it with than the guy over there uh, looking all professional today, Greg Cosell of uh, NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup. And, Greg, you know, you're getting all your shows together. You're kind of finalizing your tape stuff and all your process, filming the matchup show, which, of course, we're all watching and DVRing and all that. So, uh we're, we're ready to go. We're ready to come down from 30,000 feet to boots on the ground and discuss some actual football, my friend. Yeah, I'm pretty excited
1: about it. It was a good weekend of college football, and now Gosh. I'm ready for the NFL.
0: I Wow.
1: We could do a whole show just on the quarterbacks from college football. <laughs> There'll be a lot of quarterbacks in this year's draft. Ooh, It'll be interesting
0: boy. how that plays out over time. Yes, very much so. Uh, and something we'll talk about later. But for now, Dr. Cosa, we've got some uh, – some, some football to talk about, uh, where it means everything. We'll start with the uh, season opener, Lions at Chiefs, uh, Thursday, September 7th. And I want to start with Mahomes's, Patrick Mahomes' improvement in against a couple of concepts in the second half of the season. Because the two things, you know, this was going to be the kryptonite and the blueprint and whatever. Too deep coverage and flooding the zones and having three or fewer pass rushers. And I, I I'll put all the numbers up in the article, but – To shorten it against two deep covers in the first half of the season, you had a passer rating of 87.2. From week 10 through the Super Bowl, 120. The three or fewer pass rushers and flooding the zones in the first uh, nine weeks of the season, 60.2 passer rating. From week 10 through the Super Bowl, 135.8. And we've talked about this a little bit before and how the Chiefs kind of made things more expansive horizontally and vertically. But as they go into this game with the Lions, to what would you attribute the way things changed for Mahomes, maybe what different pictures he saw, and just how it went differently?
1: You know, I got to tell you, Doug, that's been talked about a lot, and I don't know where to go with that. I mean, he's played a lot of football. Um, He's seen a lot of things. You know, to me, given his career, that's not a large enough sample size in my view to draw any meaningful conclusion from it. You know, it was two years remember two years ago in the AFC championship game when the Bengals beat them? Mm-hmm. And in the second half, Lou Anoramo, who's one of the most overlooked, really good defensive coordinators in the league, yes. um in the second half, he decided to go with um, you know, a three-man rush and eight in coverage. And everybody said, Oh my God, you know, that was what did it. And of course, I watched the tape you watched the tape and as I was watching that tape which I watched multiple times I thought to myself there's no way that's the first time either Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes saw a three man rush and eight in coverage so you know again I'm not trying to cop out on an answer here I don't know right. what that means it's not a large enough sample size for me. And there's so many other variables that could come into play. In other words, what I'm trying to say is I don't think that's a Mahomes thing. Okay. You know, I just don't. I mean, Mahomes is so good and so smart. Yeah. Maybe they had some problems. Maybe the play designs weren't. And, and again, because I don't – I'm not seeing all those plays, obviously, as we're talking, nor did I – know those stats as you just presented them so it wasn't something i focused on in my film study so i don't have there may be an answer that i can't give you but my guess would be that it's not because patrick mahomes is incapable of playing against what you just suggested there there have to be other things going on beyond the fact that oh patrick mahomes can't do that right I would say the one thing I noticed
0: in the second half of the season, this would apply both to uh, you know the three-man rush and, and the two-deep coverage. They, they started to, in my mind, do a lot more just sending guys vertically, and then Kelsey was the crosser. So it wasn't like Mahomes was just taking dink and dunk underneath. They would spread out the defense and then have – it was Kelsey. It could have been other people, sort of those crossers. So they weren't like – they weren't acquiescing to the short stuff. It was more the intermediate to me. That was kind of one difference that happened.
1: Yeah. And you know, this is a team that, you know, contrary to what a lot of people might believe they play a lot at a multiple tight end sets and led the league in 13 personnel. Yeah. I mean, they, they do that a lot and they really effectively use motion. Um, So, you know, I think that, I think Andy Reid has always been a coach and he's a great coach and he'll be a first ballot hall of famer deservedly. So, um, but you know, I think Andy is, is always been a coach that runs his system and now he's got the best quarterback he's ever had running his system. Um, a quarterback that can do anything both physically and mentally. Um, but Andy's always run it and that's his thing. And, you know, sometimes, as we've seen over the years, even going back to his Philly days, there are always games where hey, sometimes the defense takes that away. I even had a conversation with a defensive coordinator who said that hey, sometimes you know, Andy calls his plays and you know they don't work on a given day for whatever reason, and he you know, he calls his plays. He you know, he has his offense. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Mahomes obviously now better than anybody can can make, you know, chicken salad out of you-know-what. And Mm -hmm. so now if if something doesn't work, Mahomes can make it work. Um, Right. But I would just struggle with the idea that there's one way in which you can take away, quote-unquote, Mahomes or the pass game. You know, I I just don't feel like that is a large enough sample size given that he's now been a starter five years, is it? Five-year starter? I believe so. Um, I I don't think that that's – you can generalize like that.
0: Right. I just wanted to address the alleged blueprints because I know how much we love that word. Um, the, the,
1: the, the Oh, yeah. Yeah. The blueprint. The, the blueprint stuff. Look, every coach will tell you, as you know, in speaking with coaches, that there are certain things that they feel they can do to minimize what a great player does or a great offense does. And there are some weeks it works. And then there are other weeks which are never talked about where maybe the same approach doesn't work, but no one talks about that
0: yeah uh let's move to Detroit's offense we discussed this a couple weeks ago the the five offenses that Greg is looking yep. for and you had the big uh, you binge watched a lot of Detroit's offense so just in summary let's go back to that and talk about what the what Steve Spagnolo and the Chief's defense have to deal with, with with an offense that is really kind of underrated.
1: Yeah, again, I think because of the the homes and the offense that uh, Steve Spagnuolo is often overlooked, but he's had an unbelievable career winning multiple Super Bowls. Um, you know, he's a big believer in not giving receivers free access into their routes, particularly in today's NFL with so much quick game. Um, and uh, we'll see how that plays out this week. We'll see how the um, how the Lions respond to that. You know, they move receivers around an awful lot as well. Um you know, uh, Spags is – is there's a pretty good mix of man and zone pressures. Right. Um, they – I would say that he doesn't pressure as much as maybe some think that he does, but he does pressure, and as I said, it's a really good combination. The big question now is with it being clear that Chris Jones is, is not going to be playing Thursday night or it certainly uh-huh. seems to be the case, um, uh, then – you know, how does that impact how he decides to pressure? Because Chris Jones can win one-on-one, and you can align your defensive fronts so he can get one-on-one matchups. Now, there's it's a very good all-line in Detroit, but still, Chris Jones is, is a big man. Um, you know, he look, last year he aligned at D-end on 434 snaps, mm-hmm. uh, counting both the regular and the postseason. That's a lot of snaps for a guy who's essentially a D-tackle. And right. he won a lot of one-on-one matchups and they did a great job with their front alignments to get him matched one-on-one. So now with him not being there, the question is how does that change both his front alignments and his approach to pressure? We don't know the answer to that.
0: Right. They have Carl Laftus. They have uh, Felix, uh, the rookie the guy, from Kansas yeah. state. <laughs> yeah. Felix. Sorry, Felix. Um, yeah, it could be more. Well, I mean, last year the Chiefs had a defensive EPA of minus 0.8 with Jones on the field and plus 0.5 when he was not. Uh, defensive EPA is better when it's negative, so that kind of tells you his effect. And the thing about – you can talk about scheming one-on-ones. You're always going to slide to him. When you see 95, you know that's where you got to focus. Yeah, and that
1: so, happened an awful lot. You know, yeah. last year when I watched, I watched a ton of their defensive tape a, a couple of weeks ago. And when they lined up in what was basically their jet front, meaning you had two wide nines and essentially two, three techniques or four eyes, where, you know, it's a pass rush front on third down. A good, good percentage of the time, the center slid to, to Jones when he was a de-tackle. Now, obviously, if he's not there, we'll see. Now, the Chiefs, coverage-wise, on third down, they play a, a lot of two-man coverage. They have the second-highest percentage in the NFL behind the Saints – Um, and they predominantly play at a dime. That's what they play on third down, six DBs. Um, But they play a lot of two-man, which is, you know, if you feel you can get to impact the quarterback with four, two-man is a great coverage. But that's a big question now. Will Spags feel he can impact the quarterback with four? He may not. Yeah, Felix Anudike
0: Uzoma. My apologies. Yeah. Should have prepped that one better. (laughs) <laughs> it is week one. We're, we're coming out of the preseason, and that, that includes us. Uh, Bengals at Browns. This is a sneaky, interesting game, and I think it could be a lot closer than people think. Um, let's talk to Sean Watson because it's been a hard discussion for a long time. But Let's get into the football of it. His path back to being even good. I mean, you look pretty solid against the Chiefs in the preseason, a couple of explosive plays out are empty, but I mean, from what you saw last season and to now, what does that even mean? Like, where where is? Yeah, I don't know. How do they get
1: all, All I think we can do is is assume that Deshaun Watson is Deshaun Watson. There's no other way. Otherwise, we're just speculating. Right. And and we're speculating regardless. But let's assume he's he is what he was, or very close to it. Then he's you know, a dual threat, big time quarterback. He can throw from the pocket. He can, he can make plays with his legs, both running and throwing. And he becomes a, a tough challenge, you know, and obviously uh, the Bengals have had experience with that. They played Mahomes, you know, they, they played Josh Allen. They've had experience with guys that can make plays outside the structure of the offense. So um, this is a and really interesting season right What's that? That Lamar Jackson guys. Yeah. 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 Although that offense was different, you know, right. Now it'll be different this year, but, I mean, it was a different offense overall. Um, But um, uh, to me, in some ways, the other side of the ball is really fascinating because of Jim Schwartz and what the new Browns defense will look like. Uh, You know, he brought in Jim Washburn as as an assistant or consultant. You're going to get the wide nine. That's the reason they went and got Zedaria Smith. Now they have Smith and Miles Garrett who's, you know, is the best edge pass rusher, you know, among the best. I, I don't want anybody to get upset, you know, about the Nick Boses or others, but um, he's certainly one of the best. And at 275 pounds, he's an absolute load and he can yeah. bend. Um, so you're going to see a different looking defense from the Browns than we saw in previous years. And, you know, we'll see how that plays out. We now have Orlando Brown at left tackle and Jonah Williams at right tackle. And, uh, you know, over the past couple of years, I don't think Williams has been a very consistent pass protector one-on-one. So now he's going to play right tackle. He's been among the league leaders in total pressures and sacks over the last two years. It's been kind of a
0: rough go for him. And Orlando Brown, in my observance, the first half of the arc is fine. The The back half and some, some really good tackles are like this. Back half of the arc, he's kind of looking for help. That turn. Some guys, maybe not quite so much. Yeah, so. Um, The other thing, I mean, getting back to Cleveland's offense, you have Dax Hill and Nick Scott replacing Jesse Bates and Von Bell. That's a big deal.
1: Yeah, and it could be. Uh, For those who who probably aren't familiar, and maybe many listening aren't familiar, Nick Scott actually was a good player last year for the Rams. Yes. The Rams did not want to lose him, but, you know, that's the way the league works. So Nick Scott was a good signing by the Bengals. Dax Hill, uh, again, for those who don't remember, he was a really, really good prospect coming out of Michigan. He played safety in their base and slot corner in their sub at Michigan. And I, I actually watched him and thought he had the traits to play outside corner. He's he's long and he's really, really athletic. Now, again, you're dealing with a first-year starter, second-year player, so we don't know exactly how that works with what he's seeing and how he's going to react. But, you know, he, he's more athletic than either Jesse Bates or Von Bell, but that doesn't mean at this point he's a better player.
0: Well, and that's the thing. Uncle Lou asks his safeties to do a lot. lot Yeah, They have to put a lot on their heads because it is a very – that's not an execution-based defense. They do a lot of different things. I mean, you have to execute, obviously, but you know what I
1: mean. And it's one reason why I think, and not every team believes this, as you well know, it's one reason why linebackers are really important to him. Um, mm-hmm. Because they obviously signed Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt, a lot of people thought Jermaine Pratt would be gone, but they did not want to lose him because he's really important to their defense. The two linebackers are the way in which they play defense. You know, as you know, there are some teams that don't believe that. The Eagles, for instance, and obviously they're a great team too, but you know, Howie Roseman and, and that group does not believe that linebackers are are that important in the overall scheme of things, and so they're not they're not going to pay them a lot of money.
0: Uh, getting to the 49ers at Steelers. Um, so speaking of <laughs> defensive EPA on-off splits, the 49ers last year uh, with Nick Bosa, minus 15, which was among the league's best. Without yeah, him, I, Minus I, eight. And, you know, I, I know on-off splits can be weird. And, I mean, that defense was great with or without him. But we've talked about the Niners' overload blitzes and kind of how they do things. So kind of a two-parter here. What does that defense look like without Bosa? And getting into the Steve Wilkes, and Steve Wilkes I don't think is really a, like a single tendency guy. Like you can't say, oh, this is a Steve Wilkes defense. But let's just assume, okay, Bosa's out, and how does Steve Wilkes sort of contend with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just actually finished watching all of their third downs from last year. It took me a while. <laughs> yeah. um, they're a fascinating defense. First of all, they play a lot of loaded fronts where they line up with three a defensive lineman to one side of the center. Very often in that loaded front, they put one or up on the line of scrimmage as a stand-up three technique opposite the load. So it ends up being a five-man front. Um, and they're a big stunting team on third down, really big stunting team on third down, multiple stunt concepts. Um, they've got really, you know, obviously it appears Bosa, I st- we still have time for him because it's a Sunday game, but we'll see what happens. But, you know, they have really good players at all three levels. Mm-hmm. I mean, you watch, I watched all these third downs and I knew this before, but when I see them all in a row, Fred Warner is to yes. me, hands down the best linebacker in the league. Yep. The way he is used and deployed, he, he's a pass rusher. He's an underneath coverage defender. He can run the seam. He looks like a wide receiver running. Um, He's so good. And he's so smart. He understands route concepts based on splits. Um, and and you know on the back end they've got Hufanga who is a really intriguing player. Uh, people might have thought when he came out of USC that you couldn't play him at post safety, but when they play cover one, it's Gibson, the other safety, who matches the tight end, and yes. Hufanga plays post safety and doesn't really get burned. You know you don't like I said you don't think of him as that guy, but he doesn't really get burned. And Gibson is a guy you know. He's one of those guys, Doug. You know, there's there's a bunch of those kinds of guys in the league at different positions. Been in the league a long time, maybe never a star. Although I think one year he did lead the league in interceptions, if memory serves me correctly.
0: He had one Pro Bowl. Well, I'll tell you this, Greg. He made my top eleven safety list last year. That's it well,
1: but he's mind. he's just one of those really yeah. solid football players. And they started to play more man coverage as the year progressed, and they got really solid play from Ward. Um, who's a solid corner, you know, he came over from the chiefs and mm-hmm. the rookie Lenore from Oregon, who yes. played really well over the last seven, eight weeks. Uh, once he became a starter uh, due to injury and they were comfortable, clearly playing cover one and matching those guys up on the outside on, on outside the numbers routes where you really don't have safety help.
0: Now that defense will be going up against a Pittsburgh offense that I know it's the preseason. So we have to do all those disclaimers. Kenny Pickett's rookie season was kind of – there was some YOLO and some, like, late stuff, and, like, he wasn't quite seeing it. I saw a more comfortable and decisive quarterback in the preseason. How that transfers to the regular season, I have no earthly clue. But the difference was enough for me to want to mention it. I mean, as much as you watched him in the preseason, what are your thoughts about that offense in general?
1: Yeah, and, again, none of us have any idea what happens when it starts Sunday, but – the year Pickett came out, I thought he was far and away the top quarterback in that draft class. Um, The one thing I did notice watching his preseason throws was I thought the ball came out with a little more juice in the preseason than it did a year ago. Um, Now, is he going ever going to have a, you know, a Matthew Stafford gun? Probably not, but I thought the ball came out with a little more juice. Um, And he is really, he's to me. And, and, I had so many of these conversations with coaches the year Pickett came out because I kept hearing, well, he's not a wow player. Like there's nothing special about Pickett. And, you know, again, I'm not saying I know more than any coaches. Believe me, that's not my point. But I kept thinking, and this is the kind of stuff I do, Doug. You know this. I just think about this all the time is, you know, what's wow? Is he going to be Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? Probably not. (laughs) You know, I think we can say that. But I think that he has the ability to be, an efficient executor and ball distributor, and he does have movement ability. Yes. So I think he can be a higher level quarterback, whatever that means. He can run your offense and he can make some plays outside of structure. And I think that's what you wanted in your quarterback. Well, I think the more juice,
0: uh, to me, it just seemed like he was seeing things more clearly. Yeah. And confidence in what he was seeing and to me it that's more almost more important oh he put on 15 pounds in the offseason he, he went to a jujitsu coach learned how to fall like Tua did okay yeah I maybe you have bigger biceps but when you're seeing it better just more 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 easily it, yeah you know, Bart Starr tells the story of his third year with the Packers under Lombardi where it's like all of a sudden the playbook became 3D he just saw it differently that's,
1: you know, But it's funny you say that because even last year when he first became a starter and, you know, he had some, some tougher moments obviously in the early part of the season when he started, but he never looked – and this is not an X and O point. This is just watching a guy play. He never looked like he was playing fast or frenetic. You know, some guys, they go out there and you go, oh, my God, that guy's just not seeing it. I mean, everything is just way too – you could just see it in the way they move. Nick, it right. didn't really look like that. I mean, you know, I'm sure he missed some reads. I'm sure he was late with some throws. I'm sure that he had misreads. You know, the whole deal that young quarterbacks go through. But he just never really looked like he didn't belong. It just looked like it was going to be a process. Yeah, no, it was if, a process.
0: If anything, I would say I would say the thing of Brock Purdy when he became the starter was like I liked a lit, you know, speed up the clock a little bit, almost right. Like, but it didn't look like he didn't belong. Right. You don't want someone playing frenetically, but just a little bit faster. Like right.
1: So, so – and a- they've got a lot of – the thing that I'm most intrigued by with the Steelers – and, again, week one, it's always hard to, to speak exactly about matchups, you know, just because you don't know, particularly when, you know, there's a new coordinator in San Francisco. We don't know how Steve Wilkes might tweak some things. We don't know that. <clears throat> I'm really interested to see the division of labor in the backfield with the Steelers, just because I think Jalen Warren yeah. – clearly gives them more juice and you know again Najee Harris is a good football player that's not I'm not saying he's not a good football player but Warren is a different kind of back and I think it was evident what he did last year and even through the preseason again for whatever it's worth. but it showed up that he's just a guy that can take it to the house and you know every coach would love that. Well, it's funny you mentioned that Pickett, you know, some people are saying he's
0: not a wow guy, and maybe the Steelers were going for consistency. But when I wrote up Najee Harris coming out of college, one of the things I wrote was he does everything well and nothing spectacularly. (laughs) (laughs) He's got like a really high floor on everything, but there's nothing where you go, oh, wow. And and Warren had more of those oh, wow plays. So, you know. Well, even in college at Oklahoma State, (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, you mentioned Fred Warner. It's funny. Dolph is in charge at Chargers, is our, our next uh, game of discussion. This is a fascinating one for a lot of reasons that you and I discussed uh, on the phone. And I, you know, when, when, Defenses started to take away the middle of the field, started to press the Dolphins receivers a little bit more. And Fred Warner, it was the game before the Dolphins Chargers game where the whole thing kind of imploded for Miami's offense, where Fred Warner was making plays at the second and third level. I'm like, linebackers are not supposed to be that just amazingly
1: athletic. You're talking about against Miami? Yeah. Yeah, he made one uh, play against Miami that was ridiculous. But but it was because he also knew the route concept. It was yep. Dagger, which is an inside vertical and an outside dig. And yep. he knew it the second the routes. He probably knew it from the splits of the receivers. Sure. And he knocked down a pass on a uh, – I think it was actually the Sherfield who ran the dig. Yep. But it was just an unbelievably ridiculous – It was
0: about play. 20 yards back and just yep. deflected up and,
1: yeah. Yeah, them. no, it was, it was just yeah. – it was one of those plays. Um, <laughs> but, you know, a year ago, again, you're stealing with the same – coaching staffs on the offensive side of the ball for the Dolphins and the defensive side of the ball for the Chargers for the most part. And Tua had his worst game of the year against the Chargers defense last year. It was was week 14. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the Chargers did something that a lot of people might have said, well, that's – That's not something you would do when you play Miami. But what they did was that, you know, they had a really defined game plan. The boundary corner, Mike Davis played press man. Didn't matter whether it was Hill, Waddle, whoever it was, he played press man. They played a high percentage of cover two on third down. Um, The coverage behind – they played mostly coverage behind the four-man D-line pass rush with not many five-man pressures. And they basically, you know, I'm sure there's more tweaks to it, but, I mean, I'm just, you know, without getting into the the deep weeds – Right. Um, and uh, Davis really was only beaten one time in the game, and it was in the third quarter. He actually fell down, but I think he, he fell would down. have been beaten was anyway.
0: Touchdown to Tyreek Hill, and he fell yeah. down.
1: I think he probably would have been beaten anyway, but he fell down. It was um, close.
0: Yeah, but he had uh, Dave, Michael Davis had uh, seven press targets in that game. That was the only catch he gave up, and he was on Hill. He was on Waddle. He was on Surefield, He was on Gusecki for one play in press. And so now we've spin that forward, And I don't know what J.C. Jackson's status is. He lost a lot of last season to a, a knee injury. I don't know if he's ready to go. But you remember this New England, or at least my concept of it, he was giving up like opponent pass readings of 40 every year, ridiculous numbers as just a dead red man, press aggressive corner who could, you know, trail you through the whole route. So now if, if Jackson's healthy or, you know, reasonably, so they have two of those guys, it makes you wonder how they're going to sort of split that up.
1: Yeah. um, It'll certainly be interesting. I mean, You know, and I'm I'm real curious again. This is something we don't know, and that's why some of these matchups are hard. You know, I'm really curious with what the Chargers' offense is going to look like.
0: My next question is, what are your? Expectations for Justin Herbert and Kellen Moore's offense, because we all I mean, we don't need to recite the litany of people bashing Joe Lombardi for the reductive passing game. That's, and that's some of great. that's fair but and some I mean,
1: of it's not, as is always yeah. the case when coaches get bashed. You know, you, I mean, right. I don't do that. You know, right. that, I don't I don't, yeah. I don't live in that world because I know how hard coaches work and I sit and watch tape and I know there's so many reasons, um, you know, so I don't I don't I don't go there. But right. it's obviously going to be a different offense. They've obviously got tremendous size at the wide receiver position. Um, they've got Allen. They've got Williams. They've got Palmer. They've got the rookie. Um, from what I understand, Palmer will be number three to start the season. Um, but I'm sure they'll have some some specific plays for Johnston, the rookie from TCU, um, because he's big. He can run a bit. Um, so they'll probably have some. You know, he may not play 50 snaps, but they'll have some specific things for him. Um, you he's got to
0: show up but, some ball security issues, but other than that.
1: Yeah, gonna... yeah. That, you know, so, um, you know, I'm just – I'm really curious to see that offense. You know, and against a defense that now it's Vic Fangio, but they don't have Ramsey. So um, we'll see. I, you know, I again, I don't know how that's going to look on either side right now, to be honest with you, you know, uh, but I'm really curious to see
0: it. I would say the, yeah Michael Davis or Mike, depending on what you want to call him, uh, keep that name in mind if you're watching that game, because it will come up. Um, and yeah, I mean, Herbert, we can say, I, I'm without fear of contradiction as far as tools, top three in the league.
1: Oh, heard. Herbert. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, again, that's another thing. I, and, yeah. you know, I just do my job, Doug. You know that it's not my job to debate other people. I don't do that. But when I started reading, you know, People are already starting with Herbert. Well, can you win the big one? You know, come on. You know, the guy is a high, high high-level talent. There's a lot of reasons why teams win and lose. You know, I mean, what do people want the Chargers to go get a quarterback that's less talented? Is that the plan? I guess so. Uh, John Madden,
0: I believe the Raiders went to five straight AFC championship games under John Madden, all losses to the eventual Super Bowl winner and Madden would say oh they can't win well tell me when the next big one is because we don't we want a lot of big ones but
1: yeah. yeah I mean the guy's a high high level talent he's a really fine NFL quarterback you know I mean you have conversations with coaches and they they talk about Justin Herbert in glowing terms just there's nothing wrong with Justin Herbert. No. No, you just, you want to see more, more more stuff downfield, more explosiveness.
0: Uh, Finishing with, and this could be an explosive matchup, Monday night, Bills at Jets. Uh, We all saw the killer fade from Aaron Rodgers to Garrett Wilson in the preseason. We expect more of that. How much of the Jets offense will be what we saw last season in Green Bay? Or, I mean, is it pretty much the Aaron Rodgers offense? And I'm not saying Nathaniel Hackett's not just there to keep the hot drinks hot and the cool drinks cool. They're all working in conjunction with each other, but, would you expect to see maybe more downfield stuff, less of an RPO based thing, you know, um, Green Bay has things they want. Maybe Aaron does, you know, there was a little bit of back and forth with that a couple of years ago. Um, Again,
1: so, I, you know, that's, that's what's hard. Speculation. It, it's, it's speculation. I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they obviously want to run the ball as well. You know, they've got two good backs. I don't think, ideally they want Rogers dropping back 45 times unless the game would dictate that. I don't think that's the way they want to play. So he's a, he's obviously a big story deservedly. So I'm not saying, you know, it's not big, but I'm not sure they want to play that way. So I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Um, You know, I think we probably have a better feel for the other side of the ball because it's the same coaching staff and the same defense and, you know, Josh Allen has struggled a bit against that defense. And, not. And, you know, it's funny. I watched both those games, you know, the, the Bills O and the uh, Jets D. And, you know, it, sometimes it's hard to figure out why a guy struggles. Like you go, oh, my God. Like he threw an interception. I think it might have been in the first game to Whitehead, the safety, which was just a terrible interception. And he clearly didn't see him. And, you know, then people use a player like that to say, well, they've got his number. And I think, well, You know, it's a horrible, horrible interception. But he obviously just didn't see him, and yeah, he's got to see him. But it wasn't like the Jets did something so special that you went, "Wow, they just they just really took advantage of Josh Allen." But you know, and, and let's keep one thing in mind: we don't know how it's going to play out this year. We have no idea what the Jets are going to do defensively. No idea. But a year ago, Sauce Gardner was the left corner, and Reed was the right corner. Gardner was not a match-up corner, and it's funny because as soon as the schedule came out, all I read is, "Here's who Gardner's going to match up to this year." Well, we don't know that. Maybe they'll change. We, they could. We don't know that. But last year, I mean, he was very, no one
0: great. talks about DJ Reed, and he was great in Seattle. He was really good. No it's good that they don't have to move Saucer up because he's no. Really good. So,
1: so you know, he was, and in fact, in in one of the games, it may was it the first game or the second game, the first play of the game. Diggs ran right by Gardner for a 42 yard play. Yep. Um, I think it might've been the second game, but, um, you know, overall the jets, you know, the, the jets to me are not a, you know, their defensive approach was pretty similar in both games. Mm-hmm. They they emphasize coverage more than pressure. Um, the second game, they maybe be rushed five, just a little higher percentage, but not a high percentage. Um, and you know, they played coverage, um, they played a lot of man on third down um bills at times had answers at times didn't so you know we'll see i mean you know it's that to me is is you know going to be a really interesting side of the ball there's there's the jets have a good defense
0: yeah well Jermaine Johnson and Will McDonald who uh, we we've talked about Will McDonald at Iowa State who's like four eye a lot of the time and now he's <laughs> so Robert was like yeah he's 240 he's going to be edge and he looked really good in the preseason right. yeah preseason we know yeah 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 um, is there still an element of randomness to Allen's play that gets in his way? And and kind of more balanced power base or offense. They draft Kincaid. They're going to go more because and did new to it all. They got Osiris Torrance in the second round. They got Damian Harrison, uh, uh, Latavius Murray. Uh, you know they. It seems like it's going to be a different offense, maybe more balanced. Maybe that gives Allen a little less of a runway to sort of go yolo too much.
1: Yeah, I would. I would say that's fair. I think Allen is. And I heard this great uh, statement from a great phrase from um, uh, someone I respect greatly. He said that Allen is a knockout puncher. Um, And I think his game does have a certain amount of randomness to it. It's just that he can make special, special plays. Um, But I would say that he's not necessarily a natural timing and anticipation thrower. I don't think that's the strength of his game. Never has Um, been sometimes I feel like he drops back and doesn't see exactly what he should see. And then he moves too, too quickly. But as you and I both know, sometimes when he does that, he makes an unbelievably great play. So it's, I've had this conversation with so many people, Doug, over the years. And I, I don't think there's an answer. It's probably not a mathematical equation. I'm sure people had the conversation in Seattle with Russell Wilson is, how do you, you know, what's the balance there? How do you deal with it? You know, you probably don't want to tell Josh Allen not to move. But on the other hand, there are times he moves prematurely and disrupts the timing and structure of the play. So how do you deal with that? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not a coach. but And and there may not be an answer. It may be just be what it is. And this is, you know, this is what Josh Allen is. And he's clearly a top-five quarterback in the NFL. And he certainly can make plays that other quarterbacks can't make.
0: Well, the great improvisers in music, the, the, you, know, you know, you have to learn the rules before you can break them. Um, I think if you have a quarterback who benefits from breaking the rules to the point where he doesn't have to learn them, you 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 sort of get those little pockets of knowledge in while you can, while he's doing all this thermonuclear stuff. And you try and mix it up as best you can.
1: I don't know what else. Yeah, do. I, I would bet it's a very you know, you're hard. you to tell Josh Allen, hey, be more normal. <laughs> it's not. No, not, and you're not going to certainly tell him, hey, Josh, I don't want you to leave the pocket. You're not going to tell him that. But, you know, still, on the other hand, um, Josh, as there are other quarterbacks that move a lot, will often leave the design of the play on the field because they move when they don't have to. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'm just not sure, you know, how you deal with that. Then they make great, you know, we're going to have the same conversation about Caleb Williams next year when he comes Um, out of USC, who's obviously got special, special traits.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Greg, we know you have special, special traits, and uh, we're happy to have the first week preview in the books. Uh, And next week we'll have even more to talk about because we will actually see these things in the regular season, and we can then spin them forward. So, as always, great stuff, and we'll talk next week. Thanks, Doug.